0: morning Church good morning. Oh, you know I like a lot, a lot of energy good morning Church good morning. there we go see that's good all honor to God my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ um, and I'm excited to do this message because of we, where we've been talking about for the last past what year or so coming out of John and so when we had the elder meeting we wanted to talk about the foundation how we're building upon that foundation we're talking about we're moving into a season about Christian mm-hmm. maturity we built the foundation now we're talking about the walk. And so when I was praying about what I should preach today, what came into my mind is a conversation that I had with my mother-in-law when I first started the ministry. We were sitting there, and she said something that was kind of profound to me. She said, many Christians sit there with their armor laid out in front of them, but they have no clue how to use it. And that, that, that was years ago. That was when I first got married to my wife and that has resonated with me that we have a tendency to not understand what God has put in front of us not understand the tools that God has placed so that we can have victory and so today when we talk about Ephesians the 6th chapter i don't want this to be a fearmongering message i don't want you to look at that because we're going to talk about some spiritual things instead i want you to come at this as a victory march that We are talking about the fact that you have victory in Christ. And God has given you the tools. So we're going to explain the tools. And hopefully I'm going to give you some key words that will help you remember points of the armor. Okay, I'm going to pray real quick. Father God, thank you for simply who you are. Thank you for your mercy and kindness. I'm asking that you just remove the wicked man known as Gregory Holston. You fill me with your Holy Spirit. Allow the words that come out of my mouth to just be true to you. Let me be cognizant of the time and cognizant of the room. Let me have an understanding of your word and have a way that way I can speak it so that everyone else understands it. And let it be put into their hearts so that they be encouraged today that we can find victory and strength, not in ourselves, but in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So right off the bat at verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. If you look at Ephesians, Ephesians is basically talking about earthly maneuvering, how we are to proceed in an earthly realm. Now, Paul is shifting gears, talking from earthly things to spiritual things. He's saying that this is how we are to proceed spiritually. If I take you to 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, where it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Even before we can put on all these accessories that God has laid on us, we have to have the strength to pick it up. And I think that's where we fall. See, we have the functioning that we want to use our own strength. But the Bible tells us that we are not sufficient enough. We need to depend on God's strength because even if you have the best equipment the best armor if you have a weak soldier he is inefficient in battle and so we have to shift on who we're depending on we can't depend on ourselves because we fail ourselves multiple times and as christians we already submitted that god is unfailable he does not fail in any circumstance so therefore we must depend on his might and strength so what is might and strength might talks about the inherent reserve of power, right? That's the strong man showing his muscles, that you would look at him he's a strong dude. He's able to move something. Strength is the exercise of that power. That is a strong man pushing something so you can see that he has the strength to do it. We tend to use our own mind strength, which is depleted, and we can't push a thing. We are to depend on God's strength. To make it through our situations and our circumstances that is when we actually have the power to put on the armor that's when we have the power to overcome we have to rely on his might and his power to do the work that we have been assigned if I take you to verse 11 where it says put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Another perspective change. People are a problem. But Paul is telling here that they are not the problem. All the issues that we're dealing with, all the mess that's going on in this world, is because we are in spiritual warfare. They don't recognize it. But Paul is telling you that you need to recognize it. Everything that you're going, on, going through, everything that occurs, the ups and the downs, is spiritual battle. And if you're ignorant or you ignore that fact, you may not be winning that battle. Schemes of the devil refers to the temptations, the lies, the beguilement, the attractive, the destructive, and the staring lies that Satan wants to tell you. And see, it's funny because we have this image of, of what the devil is, but the Bible says that he fashions himself as an angel of light and a minister of righteousness. We get caught up because we think that he's going to come at us and we're going to be able to see it clearly and we'll be able to avoid it. The Bible says that he is sneaky. He is subvert. He will come at you at every angle. And when you're not prepped up, when you're not finding yourself in God, he will beguile you. He is a champion of everything that strives to place Christ in your life, both personally and corporately. And see, it goes on by saying principalities and its powers and rulers of the darkness. There's different levels of evil that is trying to come and get you. And their sole singular goal is to knock you down from your standing. And see, if we keep looking at the words, it says wrestle. The word wrestle means to throw or to force or to pin to the ground. Against, which means a personal foe. This is a real thing. This is a fight to the death. And so what Paul is telling you here is that this enemy wants to put you to the ground so that you can't live. And so why is this all important? I think this is important for two reasons. If I take you to John 10... 27 through 29 it states my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me i give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand i need you to understand this jesus is telling us that if you're in his hands no one can take you, not you, not Satan, no one. So I, I, we can talk about this another time, but I feel that my salvation is secure because he is my Savior. I don't question that, and Satan can't take that from you, but he will disrupt you as much as possible. If he can't kill you, he'll make you feel like you're dead. He will make you feel like you're oppressed. And see, that's another lie in itself. Each and every battle that we have is firmly rooted in the schemes of the devil and in his effort to deceive us. And we have many Christians that are living under the illusion of being pinned to the ground because they failed to put on their armor. I suggested to you that brothers and sisters in Christ are bound and unlocked shackles. They are legally free, but circumstantially constrained. They lack the understanding of the freedom that they have in Christ. I'm going to take you further, where God gives the believer a full set of equipment for spiritual warfare, but he expects us to put it on, as it is our responsibility. How do I know that? I'll gladly tell you. It says that you may be able to stand. You have to put it on. He has laid it out in front of you. You have to do it. That's your responsibility. And note that the same armament is that we find in Isaiah 59 and 17 is the same armament that God wears. He's giving you the tools of battle that he uses. He's giving you the way to achieve victory. Can I take you to the next part where it says that you may be able that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. With the power of God, sk- Satan's schemes against us are fruitless. How do I know this? I could take you to more scripture where in Colossians 9, or Colossians, Colossians 2, 9 through 10, and 15, it tells us that Christ is the head of all rule and authority, that we have been filled in him. And he has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by, triump- by triumphing over them. Romans eight thirty seven says, and all things, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We have to get rid of this perception that Jesus and the devil are on the same scale. They're not. If the devil is the manager, Christ is the CEO. They're not even close to each other. So why do we treat them that way? We are more than conquerors because Christ has defeated death and the devil. Therefore, we should no longer assume a situation hoping for victory. We should assume it because Christ has won. We're fighting from a wrong angle. We're trying to fight to get victory. Meanwhile, we've already crossed the finish line because Christ brought us there. You have victory. That's what Paul is trying to tell. No matter what you feel, no matter your perception of the situation, you have victory, not because of what you've done, but what Christ has done for you. You just have to live like it. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand within the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Let's talk about this word, the evil day. This is not talking about the overall state of the world because most of us feel like every day is the evil day. But the evil day refers to a personal attack in your life where some days are good, but there are some days where things just don't work out right, where things are just falling apart over and over and over, but you're praying, but it doesn't feel like things are going on, and you're holding on to your faith for dear life. That's, my friends, is the evil day, the specific time where Satan is coming after, where your name is on the list, and he's trying to attack you over and over and over again. When he knows that you're most vulnerable and tries to give you lies, discouragement, temptation, deception, and accuse you of wrongdoing. See, it's real easy to trust in Christ when everything is going good. The question is, will you trust in God when everything is not? We have been impacted by this. And unfortunately, there are many of us who have been detrimentally impacted because we did not heed to the warning that we find here in Ephesians. I'll repeat, stand firm. What does it mean to stand? Standing refers to maintaining control in the area where victory has already been achieved. You don't stand in defeat, you stand where it's been won and you maintain that position stand in victory uh, i'll use another illustration understand that an umbrella does not stop the rain from occurring instead it stops you from getting wet first john 5 and 4 says for everyone who has been born of god overcomes the world and this is the victory that has been that has overcome the world what's that last part it says our faith. We have victory through Jesus Christ. Verse 14 and 15. We're, now we're going to start actually talking about the armor. We set up why this is important. Now we're going to talk about the armor. It says, therefore, having been girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's talk about the belt. Here's the key word for the belt. The word is integrity. What is integrity? Integrity refers to the state of being whole and undivided. See, no matter what people say, and no matter what you hear, here's the thing. Truth is an objective standard that we should be living by. There is one truth, and that comes from the one who does not change or shift. I shift my perceptions even from Four weeks ago is different than now. So I'm not the best gauge. Y'all are not the best gauge. That's okay, because we live in a fallen world. I suggest to you that we turn to the one who has never changed since the beginning of time. That is God. God, and what he has to say, is our objective standard. That's the truth that we should hold on to. Just as a belt holds on to your pants and keeps everything together, the truth of God holds everything tight in your and see, when you allow God's word to surround you, you can distinguish what is true and what is not true. See, the devil's going to tell you lies and speak whispers to you. But whenever you're girded with truth, whenever you understand what God has to say about the situation, you can shave off those lies. You know that it's not true because God didn't say it was true. That's true is our barn. And see, the thing is, when you function in truth, the devil can't come against you. He functions in lies, so therefore you must stand in integrity in truth. He can't sustain that environment. It does not work for him. Can I take you to Ephesians 4, 13 and 14? Until we've all attained the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature Manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, and craftiness in the, in the sexual schemes. Like the wind and the waves, false doctrines and lies from the devils and yearnings from the flesh, which is y'all and me, shift and come after you all the time. It always changes and will never remain the same. The temptations that you had four years ago might not be the same temptations that you have now. But they'll come after you. And they might not work today. But in four weeks or in four months, you'll have something new that will constantly try to knock you off of your position. And so, we have to be careful of smooth talkers and evil plans under the guise of good that can fool you if you're immature and unequipped. And see, the problem is that we have many of us who believe that Jesus died for our sins, but we don't grow in him. Our relationship stops at we just go. You know, it'd, be, it'd be like if I was married to my wife but never talked. Never communicated her. Never spent time with her. We just got married, and that's it. That makes no sense. You have to have relationship. You have to grow in your spirituality so that you understand what God has to say. And when you have an understanding of what God has to say, you can hold firm to it and understand what is not what He has to say. We have to let Psalm one nineteen. 119, 160 be our bedrock of how we function. The sum of of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endure forever. We have to let the integrity of the word of God be our canon. What is canon? Canon refers to a standard, and if you look at the word, it talks about a measuring stick. We have to let God's word be the measuring stick. If it doesn't come up to what God has to say, then I don't want it. It's not good enough. I don't... I don't want it. So, church, put on your belt and grow in the stability of the truth of God's word. Let's move on to the next piece of equipment. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the key word for this is sanctification. This is talking about your walk with God, that you becoming more righteous as you walk with him. And so righteousness that we maintain is not of our own doing, nor is it a mere feeling of righteousness, but it is the righteousness received by the faith in Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 8, and 9 says, Indeed, I count everything as, a, as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found In him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Righteousness from God that depends on my faith. And what is sanctification? What does that word mean? That means to be holy or set apart. You see, the sanctification process protects your spiritual vitality. And it guards you from being entangled in anything that would be detrimental to your walk with God. Can I take you to Psalm 106 and 3 where it says, blessed are those who observe justice and do righteousness at all times. Our sanctification process, we become more aware of our decisions that we make and determine whether or not they're based on God's word. See, Christ bestows you with his righteousness and as you have his righteousness, you become more righteous. You might not want to do the things that you used to do because they don't come in line with God's word. Things don't feel right to you. I'll even give you an example. There's certain rap songs that I really used to like, and I tell you, I really used to like them. <laughs> Ooh, my goodness. I can't even listen to them now. Uh, uh, M.O.P., Cold As Ice, I, uh, by, uh, mixed by Four and All. I used to rock to that song. The beat was hard. I can't listen to it anymore because of how foul they are. I found an instrumental, so thank you. But. <laughs> But just, just the fact that I, uh, I can't even, I don't want to be around that. It, it can't even sit with me. I can't even go through two minutes of it without me having to turn it off because it's not in line with what God has to say. There are shows that you used to watch that I can't watch that anymore because it's not in line with what God has to say. There are certain places I can't go because it's not in line with what God has to say. See, his righteousness is on top of me, and so I'm becoming more righteous because I want to be more like him. And see, why is this important? Why is maintaining a righteous character and conduct important? I'll tell you. Can I take you to Revelations 12 and 10 where it says that Satan, the accuser of brothers, blames you of wrongdoing day and night. He does not take a break. He's hoping you slip up so he can tell God, look at him, look at her. He don't believe you. Cast him out. That's why God gave you that equipment so that you walk in righteousness. And that you maintain that walk. And see, when Satan accuses you, then protect your heart with the truth of the righteous standing that you have in Christ. That is reflected by righteous living. See, you're also going to be attacked with impurity, kind of like what we just talked about. It's things that are going to come after you. And in the same respect, that's going to trigger your sin nature to try to seek after things that are not of God. And that leads to harmful circumstances. He's trying to trip you up by putting things in front of you. Can I take you to Romans 13, 11 through 14, where it says, Besides this, you know that the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. That means the things that you used to do no longer work for you. For salvation is near to us now that we have first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in a day and time, not in orgies or drunkenness or sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. All of this is just telling you that as you are walking with Christ, that the old rags of your flesh, the old rags of your behaviors, I don't want to wear this anymore. I'd rather have what God has. You are shedding off the old tattered rags that are no good to God. You're instead putting on the righteousness that he has for you. So my proclamation for this is to put on the armor and protect yourselves with Christ's righteousness so that you don't open yourselves up to an attack from the enemy and fall into sin. The next piece of armor, let's talk about the shoes, the kicks, if you will. The word here is resolve. Resolve? It doesn't say resolve anywhere in that text, but I will explain. So let's look at the words. Preparation means a prepared foundation. Peace talks about oneness or wholeness. I'll take you to Romans 5.1 where it says, Therefore, since we've been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the good news of the gospel is that we have permanent peace with God through Christ. This truth should be the foundation of everything that we do. When one has peace with God, they find that they have peace with themselves and peace with other people. Not to say that other people are going to be peaceful, but you will be able to walk in a manner of peacefulness. Therefore, we should be prepared and resolved in frame of heart to adhere to the truth of the gospel. What does is, what is all that mean? Well, I'll further explain. It. Let me explain resolve. So resolve is to decide firmly on a course of action, to be firm and determined to do something. And so, Satan will try to put obstacles in your path, in your Christian walk. And that will attempt to disrupt what you're doing. It will attempt to disrupt your footing that you will fall or you'll be too afraid to move forward. And sometimes we lose that resolve to keep walking in our faith due to rough terrain. I'll take you to Romans 8 and 6 where it says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. See, we have a tendency to put on the wrong footwear. We would have put on the piece that the world has for us. We take off the shoes of peace of the gospel. We want to adhere to things that are not fully equipped. There's holes in those shoes. They're not sufficient. See, the devil, the culture in your flesh will present you with different footwear in a pe- that is appealing during times of strife. And see, when your mind is focused on worldly things and off of what the Spirit has to tell you and off of the peace of the gospel and off of what God has to you're prone to stumble and be afraid. You won't want to walk in the way that God has for you. And no matter how good those substitutes look, they are not sufficient. And so here's the beautiful part. Even when life presents you with slippery terrain and, and temptations and trials and all that stuff, The gospel keeps us upright and able to stand, and the the imagery is shoes is very important because it was a standard for military. I'll take you to uh, Jewish historian Josephus, where he talks about the Roman shoe with thickly studded, and it had like a really good grip. It's like a cleat, a spike, and so whenever they're marching, they were able to have firm footing. And most historians point to the fact that both Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great were able to conquer large amounts of land because they had proper footwear. They can go over places that other armies couldn't go and maintain a long distance. Why is Paul using this? Because when you're grounded in the gospel, when you're grounded in what God has to say, and you're walking your faith, you can go far. You can go over rough terrain. You can go through that situation that looks too bad, doesn't look good. It looks like you're going to fail. And yet when you walk in the gospel of peace, you find yourself making out. I don't know about you, but I find myself in situations where I look back in my past and see the situations where I thought I wasn't going to make it out, and yet I made it through. The gospel of peace. Shod yourself. Walk and have the resolve and maintain that resolve and stick to it. And don't be pushed off to the side because Satan wants you to stumble, but he can't if you're grounded in the gospel. Philippians 4, 6 and 9 says, do not be anxious for anything, anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God. Which what? Surpasses some understandings? No, it doesn't say that. It says, all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. You have to stand firm in the assurance that you are at peace with God. And so, therefore, put on your shoes and be encouraged by the peace of God and his love for you, regardless of what terrain you're going through. Okay. So, that. Those pieces of armors, that the ones that you're supposed to wear all the time. That's just how you're supposed to function all the time. Those are the ones that you're supposed to have. Now we're moving on to pieces of armor which you're supposed to use at certain times. So this is verses 16 through 18 where it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith which you will be able to stand, you, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, And take the helm of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let's start with the shield. The key word for the shield is belief. And before we talk about the full attributes of the shield, I want to talk about the fiery darts. And so in ancient warfare, Roman soldiers would carry these big tower shields, right? They would cover your entire body, and most of the time they would have animal hide. So normally if we are just fighting like this, you're not getting through me because I have a tough shield. And so what other cultures would do, and actually what the Roman soldiers would do, is that they would use arrows set on fire. And so most likely these arrows aren't gonna hit, but that was not the purpose of these arrows. The purpose of the wave of flaming arrows is to disrupt you and confuse you. See, they would hit the shield The hide would burn. In response, the Roman soldier would throw their shield down. They'd be defenseless. And they're walking around defenseless on the battlefield. And that opens them up to a frontal attack. And so why is that important for us? See, Satan wants to confuse you. Satan wants you to be exposed. He will use things to get you to put down your faith. He will use thoughts and feelings and imaginations and fears and lies. Anything will be hurled at you to make you doubt God. And so it's his purpose to cause confusion and fear. So let's talk about the good part. What, what, What is faith? faith itself is acting like God is telling the truth and being obedient to his view. Whenever you are confused, you don't want to obey what God has to say. But with the shield of faith, that can withstand the attack. Let's go back to the imagery. See, Roman, the Roman army was very wise. And so they knew that this frontal attack with flaming arrows would happen. So you know what they would do? They would dip their shields in water. And so even when the arrows hit, It wouldn't combust. I suggest to us today that our faith needs to be regularly dipped into the word of God. And so that when the attack from Satan comes, we can put up that frontal shield of faith that lets nothing through. Because this is what God has to say about my situation. This is what God has to say. And you know what? Not only is it just what God has to say, I believe what God has to say. And so in order for you to get to me spiritually, you have to go through what God has to say first. That is your defense. That is your shield. We have to put God's word between us and the fiery darts. Uh, Hebrews 11 and 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Our shield of faith reminds us of God's promises and how they will be fulfilled and have been fulfilled, even though we might not be able to see them. I don't need to see all God's promises to know that he's real. I don't need to see them all because he's already done it before, and I believe that he will do it. That is the foundation of our faith. And so no matter what is tossed against you, you must stand firm and believe what God has to say and function in that belief. And see, I love this imagery of the shield and the Roman soldiers because they would use a tactic called a phalanx. A phalanx is whenever one Roman soldier would stand next to another Roman soldier and then next and next and next. And it would interlock shields, right? And when they interlock shields and walk forward, it was hard to penetrate that defense because even when one person fell, they would shift over and protect. So what's that got to do with today's message? I suggest to you family that when one of us falls, Because our faith is wavering. It is our responsibility as a body to put our faith in their standing. We are to lock up and encourage one another. Even if your faith is failing, if my faith is failing, you come around me. We come around you and protect you and bring you back up so we can keep moving forward and push off the fiery darts of the enemy. When one person's faith fails, we surround them with love pick them up, and push back the enemy attack so that we can stand once again. So use your shield and hold on to your faith as you withstand the heavy blows of doubts and deceits. Can I take you to the helm of salvation? The helmet of salvation, the key word here is certainty. Certainty. Paul uses this imagery because the helmet protects the mind, which is the primary place where spiritual battles occur. According to 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8, Paul calls this the hope of salvation. And see, the helm of salvation protects us against discouragement, against the desire to give up, giving us hope not only that we are saved, but we will be saved. It is the assurance that God is triumphant in daily protection and deliverance from our sin nature in the schemes of the devil. See, the problem is that a lot of us don't walk out with our helmet on. We go out in the battle with no head protection, and we get knocked up inside the head, and we start to question everything. You're not sure about anything. You're not, I, don't, I don't know because this happened. You, you're walking out without your helmet on. And so I have to take you to 1 Corinthians 1.18 where it says, the, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Even Paul is saying here that, of course, without your help, without your understanding of salvation, it's not going to make sense to you, and you're not going to hold on to it, and you're going to be subject to everything that is knocking you upside the head. But whenever you have an understanding of your standing in the gospel, even whenever you get attacked, you will hold firm to it. And without your helmet, you walk into battle thinking circumstantially and not eternally. I suggest to you that the problems and the situations that you didn't think that you were getting get out of yesterday and the ones that you think that you're not going to get out of today might shift and change. I always tell my clients, and I love using this, where they told me that I don't know if I'm going to make it another day. This is the worst day of my life. And I tell them, you said that two weeks ago. We're so focused on what is going on right in front of us, rather than looking on the eternal promise that God has given you. I use an example for myself, and I don't mind doing this, that it was a couple sermons ago that I I think it was like last year that I was sitting in my basement I was writing, and I was worried about something. I was just like, I couldn't get it out of my mind, right? And I'm sitting there by myself and I'm just, I'm praying and I'm thinking, and I begin to touch my right bottom leg. And it hit me. Why are you worried about this when God delivered you from cancer? Why are you worried about this little thing when God has already proven himself over and over and over and over and over again? What are you afraid of? Why are you worried? God says he has you. And he's already proven that he has you. So why are you frantic now? I give you that same message today. Hold firm in your salvation that God will never what? Leave you nor forsake you. Because that's what his word says. We don't have to be vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. We can have the courage to stand because well, that's what God has for us. And so how do we put on our helmet? You have to be grounded in the gospel. If you don't understand the gospel, you don't understand salvations, you will not operate as that understanding. You will not operate under knowing that God has given you a promise. You will not operate under what he has to say. That is the baseline. That is the vision that you must have. You must have a ground basis that what God has to say about everything in your life is what's going to protect my mind. I can't, I can't go over here. I can't believe this. I'm certain about what God has to say. And so the mind of the believer, we must wipe out everything that is contrary to God's word. Our old worldviews, our opinions, our old ideas, they have to go. Romans 12 and 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. With gospel-grounded thinking, the believer surrenders all thoughts that don't line up with Scripture. I'll take you again to Colossians 3 and 2 where it says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. When we are certain that Christ has forgiven our sins, we can have peace that nothing can disrupt us. So I talked about certainty, but I didn't give you a definition of certainty. Certainty is to know for sure established beyond doubt. Beyond doubt. We have to be certain of our salvations. But how can we know with certainty about our salvation? Let's look at scripture. Can I take you to Numbers 23 and 9 where it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? I suggest to you that God is unchanging, unchangeable, and trustworthy. If he said it, he will do it. And so what does that have to do with salvation? Can I take you to John, 1 John 1 and 9 where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You can bank on the fact that your salvation rests on the works of Christ. and You can trust in God's word and promise. We must be certain in our walk of what God has to say. And so put on your helmet and be certain that we find hope in Christ. The last weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The key word here is speak, speak. See, this is an offensive and a defensive weapon. It's the only one that can technically go on the offense. And this weapon specifically belongs to the Holy Spirit that is in you. The Holy Spirit has given you a weapon to fight a battle. You're not defenseless. And this is his weapon. And though it has been written by man, the word of God is from the Holy Spirit, according to 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. But why do I use the word speak? The Greek word for speak is rama, which means utterance. Paul is telling us here that he doesn't just want you to know scripture. He wants you to speak it. He wants you to use it. Use it in your situation. Use it whenever you're in conflict. Use it whenever you're in temptation. Use it during your good days. Use it during your bad days. Use and speak the word of God. And God's word when spoken, made effective by the Holy Spirit, can cut through the devil's lies. It is a weapon that is effective and firm. How do I know that this is true? Can I take you to Matthew 4, 1 through 11, where Jesus used this pretty frequently. If you look at that in his temptation in the wilderness, when Satan came up on him and offered him so much, what was the first thing he said? It is written. It is written. It is written. Three times he was tempted, and each time he responded with the truth of God's word. Can I take you to Hebrews 4 and 12, where for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, to the joints, the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Scripture is powerful. Scripture has authority. And it's the truth of the Almighty God that the Holy Spirit has bestowed you with to use. You're not functioning in your authority. Your authority is no authority. You have the authority of God's word when used properly. And see, the issue is that there is some of us that have never unsheathed that sword. It remains in our scabbard. We never open up God's word. And so when we get into situations, we get into trouble, we stand there defenseless with the tool of battle in our hand. Can I also suggest to you that There are times when we unsheath that sword but have no clue how to use it because we didn't train properly. If you look at gladiators, they don't just walk out and pick up a weapon. They they train beforehand. They do drills. They do motions. They understand that sword, that weapon, that spear, whatever it is, in and out. And so when they walk in that arena, they have the confidence to use it and go into battle. I suggest the same to you, that when you are in God's word, You study God's word. You read God's word. You have an understanding of God's word. And so when that evil day comes, you're ready to speak God's word into battle. And see, when you're not confident in scripture, you're not confident in the sword that the Holy Spirit has given you, the third person of the Trinity, you will not use effectively. You will stumble and fall. And the more we know, the more we understand God's word, we'll be more useful in doing his will and more effective in standing against the devil. So take and unsheath the sword of the spirit and speak God's word into your battles. Verse 18. So, how do we how do we use all this? We talked about the equipment, how do we use this? And so Paul is telling us that we are to pray at all times in the spirit. And so we are to pray. He doesn't dictate what type of prayer it could be—a quiet prayer, it could be a loud prayer, it could be a corporate prayer, it could be a private prayer. It could be a prayer in your car. It could be a prayer. Pray, 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 pray. You should pray. Doesn't matter what the situation or how you pray. Make sure you are praying. Any form of prayer works. Just pray in submission to God. That's in the spirit. You can pray, but not and be in submission to God. You have to pray that God's will be done in your life. And see, without prayer, we are but feeble soldiers maneuvering the battlefield without instruction from our commander. You have to talk to God. You have to, because that's where your power comes from. You have to. Without talking to him, without praying, you cut yourself off. I was working a couple days ago. Uh, at a crisis center, and I was talking to a young man that's been in jail for 15 years, and he was telling me that he used to pray every day, read his Bible, and praying that the Lord would free him, and the Lord blessed him by reducing his charges, getting him set up for a home. He's in the crisis center now because he's getting set up, and he was telling me all these good things that God has done, and I asked him, are you still praying? Are you still reading your word? He said, no. I asked him, why? He said, I don't know. Like, Why would you cut off the communication from the one who saved you? Why would you cut off communication from the one who loved you the most? Why would you cut off the communication from the one who heard your cry? What sense does that make? So I made that same suggestion. Are we not praying enough? Do we find ourselves powerless and feeble but not praying? Do we know the answer but not functioning in it? And so we have to have prayer woven into each and every fabric of our being it's not just for us too because if we keep going it says that we are to make supplications for all the saints don't pray just for you don't pray just for your family pray for everybody as they should be praying for you and so in closing you want to put on the armor because it sounds real good it sounds like victory It sounds like the promise that God has for us. So how do you put it on? Stand firm in Christ. Read his word. Pray at all times. Share the truth and speak his truth into your circumstances. Worship him in spirit and in truth. Family, we're at warfare. But we won. We just got to walk in it.